It is an honor to be with you guys this morning. Um, if you do have a Bible, go ahead and open it to 1 Samuel 22. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we have a couple Bible fairies around the room that are going to be raising, um, giving you guys Bibles. As well, if you need a Bible, you do not have one, feel free to keep that Bible because we want to make sure that you guys, everyone in this room has access to God's Word, which is the most powerful thing that we could own in terms of a possession. Um, for those, just to give a little bit of kind of background, because I know a lot of you are stepping in here for the first time, and we're in the middle of this series about the life of a certain person that is in the Bible, and his name is David. Now, a lot of you guys have probably heard of David. He was someone who, David and Goliath, he's someone who's pretty common, um, pretty common story, but he was someone, in fact, when it comes to the Bible next to Jesus himself, is the most documented person in the Bible. David is someone who's given a lot, a lot of scripture, whether it was written about him or whether it was written by him. And they said that David wrote about half the Psalms. He wrote about 75 chapters of the Psalms, which were personal diaries of him and his pursuit of Jesus when things were going well, when things were struggling. He was an honest man before God. When you look at even the story of his life, David is someone who shows us what it's like to follow God. And I think that's something for us to look at and even observe so much of it because David was not a perfect person by any means. And so he also gives us a great example of what it's like to not follow God. And not in the sense of this is what you need to do if you don't want to follow God. But he shows us that as someone who went through so many life stages, someone who was a king over Israel, someone who was just, you know, a leader, someone who was oppressed, someone who was lifted up, he shows us what it's like to pursue the Lord, whether it was success or failure. He shows us what it's like to follow the Lord in strength and in weakness. And in that, when you look at the story, just so you guys know, he's a picture of Jesus Christ to come. That he was a king over Israel, but in his righteousness, he points to a king that's going to come in it. And he came actually through his lineage. That he said, you know, as good as a king as I am, I'm not perfect, and I can't save you guys, but a day is going to come when a king is going to come down, and he's going to reign forever, and he's going to be the one who's truly going to deliver you from darkness, and that is Jesus. And so in his life, you see this picture of Jesus living out in the way that he would interact with people, in the way that just that he would find himself in certain situations as well. And just so you guys have a little bit of context of where we are, if you haven't been with us, which is most of you, you know... It started with the story of his anointing, where he was anointed by the prophet Samuel. He was the youngest of eight kids in a shepherding family. Not a very known person, not a person that probably to the human eye would be picked as the next king of Israel. And yet God would choose him. You know, it was estimated that he was about 12 years old when he was anointed by Samuel. That was about the time when God said, you're going to be the next king. Imagine if somebody came up to you in the power and the spirit of God and said, you're going to be the next king of Israel, or the next, you know, leader that's going to lead thousands to millions of people from oppression and back to the Lord. That's quite an anointing that's put on your life. But what you see from there is he wasn't anointed and he wasn't put on the throne at 12 years old. But what you see is this next season leading up through his life where he would be sculpted and he would be shaped 
to become the next king. And the way that I described it is this. When it came to the building of the actual temple of God, this is what they would do. It says it in 1 Kings that they would take the actual stones at the place where they would find them, and they would chisel them, they would work on them, they would sculpt them right where they found them, and then they would bring them to the site where they were going to put the temple together. And so naturally it was very quiet when they would put the temple together because everything was already put in this place. And you know, it can be easy to look at a stone like that in its place and in the temple and say, man, that just naturally happened. But back here, there was chiseling, there was work being done, there was sculpting being done in them. And it's the same thing with David because it could be easy to just look past that point of his life from when he was anointed all the way to being king and just saying, there, it just happened. But what you see in this next season of time is the sculpting of who he was so that he would be prepared to be the righteous king that God called him to be. And so what you see from there, we looked at the story of David and Goliath. That was a picture of him. That was a big step for him that God called him and God equipped him to show that God fights for Israel. And God used him. And then from that point on, what you begin to see are these certain things happening. The current king of Israel, Saul was his name, was someone who wasn't following the Lord. And when David came along on the scene and saw how powerful he was and how the Lord was with David, as he says, he became fearful of him. He became jealous of him. And it grew to some point in his heart where he began to try and kill him. And it got so unhealthy to the point where he had to leave. It turned from just a mere discomfort to even suffering to abusive. And when that happens, that's a point to leave in any situation. And so David is actually on the run from the very, from the very nation that he's going to be king over. And so that's a little bit of context of where we are. If you're going to look in 1 Samuel 22, that's where we're going to pick up this morning. And this is what God's word says. We're going to look at the first couple of verses of 22, and then we're going to skip over to 23 and kind of look at these two passages together this morning. So in 22, verse 1, it says, David left Gath and escaped, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around them, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah and Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left him with the king of Moab and stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. And now if you want to skip to chapter 23, we're going to pick up in verse 1. This is what it says. When David was told, Look, the Philistines are fighting against the Kela and looting the, the flesh, bleh, tongue twister, the threshing floors. He inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord answered him, Go, attack the Philistines, and save them. But David's men said to him, Here in Judah we are afraid. So how much more then if we go to Keilah and, the, and against the Philistine forces? Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to the Keilah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. What a prize. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. And that's where we're going to stop. Can we all say amen to God's word? So back to 22, what happens is this. David is on the run from Saul, and he comes to this place in Moab, the cave of Adullam, and he drops off kind of his, 
his family there in safety because if he was a wanted man by an evil king and the people who were under him, his family was in danger. And so he found a safe place for them to go. And then what you see in verse 2, it says, all those who were in distress or in debt or in discontented began to just kind of form around him. And this is a, this is a kind of a weird, funky part of the story because naturally these people just start to kind of just gravitate around him. They just kind of, what are you guys doing? They're like, where are you going? Can we follow you? And what you see is there's a reason for them. There's descriptions of distress, debt, or discontent. And the actual Hebrew of that word of discontent means bitter in soul. These were people who were bitter in soul. These were people who were in trouble in their life. These were people who were hurting and they were broken. And naturally they began to gravitate around David and David becomes their commander. And this is an important part of the story because one of the things about David throughout the rest of his life, you never see his army too far behind him. Or, you never, or you'll always see his army just a little bit just near him. They were people. They were his family with him. They were people that he fought with together. And yet what you would see in this is you kind of see this odd just kind of group of people coming together. And that's an important part of this story because David is a picture of Jesus to come, but he's also a picture of the church that's to come as well. When you look at this story and you look at these people, what they said, I've read so many commentaries on this, and all of them said this. They said it was most likely because of Saul's oppression that they found themselves in, the same situ- in that situation where they were on the run, that an abusive leader in that day and age, it wasn't too far beyond them to put him in debt. Because to be in debt in the ancient world was one of the worst things that could possibly happen to your family. You and your kids were basically enslaved, and so they were trying to escape from oppression. Discontent from him and his leadership hurt, bitter in soul, that this place that was meant to be a place of safety and healing has now turned into kind of a place of evil and destruction. So what you see is these people are kind of foreigners all together. They're kind of exiles. They're minorities. They're not of that country. That's a perfect picture of what Jesus and his church can be like to us as well. Because when you look at the church, you look at what makes church, church. What makes us family in the Lord? What makes you a Christian? There can be a lot of different answers that you can get. But the answer is this. It's Jesus who makes us who we are. Not only individually in our hearts before him, but together as a family before the Lord. You see, these 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 families, these men and their families, there was a million different reasons why they fell away, maybe from their home country. But there was one reason why they came together. That was David, a righteous man, man who was pursuing God that brought him together. And you know what? The truth of the matter is, there may be a million different reasons why you're hurting and where you're broken. It could be not your fault. It could be your fault. But there's one, there's one answer that brings us together, and that's Jesus. Can we say amen to that? You know, I would even just say like, with like this, when you look at the picture of God's family like this army, in fact, it's the, it's the discontentment, it's the debt, it's the falling short that qualifies us to be in God's family. It qualifies us actually to be a part of the church. You know, when you think about that, what, what makes us, what, what is entrance into God's family? You know, it's Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But there, there are other things as well that I would just say that are so different from the world around us. 
I actually made this little sign this morning, but I think it just sums it perfect. You can't enter this room unless you follow this. There are no perfect people allowed whatsoever in God's kingdom. There are no perfect people allowed whatsoever. There are no masks allowed in God's kingdom. There's no trying to puff yourself up when it comes to God's kingdom, but rather just humble yourself before the Lord. It's what makes us, us. And when you look at the story, you look at the difference between someone like Saul and his army, which actually earlier in the story in chapter 14, 52, it said that Saul, this is how he, this is how he ran his army. Whenever he would find a brave man or a warrior, he, said, he would invite him to be a part of his army. And so you see like this, Oh, you can be a part of my army, but you can't. Oh, you look good enough, but you can't. It's kind of like this, this exclusive culture, which represents kind of what, what we're living in right now. How many of you have ever had to try out for something in your life? Tryouts are, they're running rampant, you know, like, and they're only getting worse the more and more you grow up and the closer and closer you get to high school. There is no longer, the no-cut policy is just died. It has died, and it's because, no, we want to be the absolute best. We don't want anyone who's weak on our team because we want to be the best, and we want to remain the best. And what you see are these different levels start to happen of, I'm on this team, so I'm better than you because you're not on this team. And you know what? There's even a culture like that as well in our, in our world that we grow up in where it's kind of like, you're part of this group, so it means you're this. Think even about how 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 valuable it is to your friends to be hanging out with certain people. It's almost as if that's like currency. That's like money to them to hang around these certain people because it makes you more valuable. See, that's the world that we live in right now, and oftentimes that's how we look at the kingdom of God. We think it's this kind of elite group of not sinners. This is me. I'm, I'm so good. And what begins to happen is masks begin to come forth. These masks you begin to wear that you never thought that you put on in your life, you begin to hide certain things because you're worried that you won't qualify for that team if somebody knew what you were doing. But you know what the truth is about God's kingdom is he says, come as you are, just come humbly before me. Those are the very things that are holding you back from being closer to me. If you came, just, just give me yourself. Just give me exactly how you are. And I promise you I'll accept you. Just like with this story, David said, anyone want to come? If you're discontent, if you're struggling, come here. And you can be a part of this group of people. And these are the men that became, as described later in the Bible, the mighty men of God. They, they're described as people of renown. They're people historically in books are described as one of the strongest armies to ever fight in the world because of what God did through them. And you know what? I just want to tell you guys in this room right now, God doesn't see you as discontent. God doesn't just see you as someone who's in debt or fallen short of your sin. He sees you as mighty women and mighty men of God. See, that's what God sees you as. God identifies you by what your potential is or by what he has in store. Maybe not necessarily your present reality. God covers your present reality and he carries you into everything that he has planned for you to be. Amen? See, God doesn't just see you as distress, but he sees you as someone who is forgiven and loved, adored, precious. That's your identity. And when you come to Jesus, 
you've never accepted Jesus in your heart as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you've forgotten what God has given you as your Lord and Savior, I tell you, it's this, that you're completely forgiven of your sins. And it's not because of anything that you've done. It's because of grace. In fact, the Bible says it has to be by grace. Otherwise, Jesus would have died for nothing. It's an insult to the cross to try and forgive yourself. It's to discredit it. It's to push it off to the side rather than allow God to forgive you by what he's already done. He's paid the debt that you couldn't pay. He forgives you. He enters into relationship with you where your sin came into the picture. And maybe, actually, maybe in this room you're thinking, well, what does that mean when I'm a sinner? Because maybe I don't feel like I've sinned that bad. Well, what the word says is the sinful nature was born into us, that it's part of who we are. And so think about it this way. If you had a kid growing up and he had no leadership over his life and he had no one to guide him in his life, what is going to happen to him? He's, is he going to become the nicest person in the world? No. It's going to become selfish. It's going to become just this thing is going to just gradually take him to become a monster. And it's because it's within us. It's this, this nature, this sinful nature that's a part of us that separates us from God that we're born into. But God takes it away through Christ. He forgives us. He resides with us both now and forevermore. If you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you will not die. You may physically die, but God will resurrect you in the same way that he resurrected Jesus. That's the power of the resurrection. And the word says that when Jesus was resurrected, he was the first fruits. He was the first of what's to come for us. And see, see, I did it for Jesus, and I'm going to do it for you. See, I proved I can do it, and I'm going to do that for you in the future. See, that's what happens when you come to know Christ and when you come to enter his family of who he is. God wants to bring us together in the exact same way. He wants to redeem us, but he wants to redeem us together. I think that's something, that's a word for us in this room, that it's not just about you individually isolated by the other people in this room, but that he wants to bring us together. And something about this story that's beautiful is that God has a place for us in his family, but he has a purpose for us too in his family. I want you to remember that, that God has a place for us in his family, but he also has a specific purpose for each of us. Do you believe, do you trust that when God created you, before you came to be, even knew who you were, that God had a specific plan for your life to do something, to give yourself to something, to be committed to. Believe it. It's true. It's the truth that God created you with a specific purpose. That's what you see in this next section in chapter 23 because David is with his army and the Philistines, who are an enemy of Israel, begin attacking Israel. Kind of off in this corner and... David inquires of the Lord, and the Lord says, go and fight, and go and protect Israel. And um, David, some of his commands, um, we're hated by them. We're, we're running from them. So why are we going to defend them and put ourselves? Because if we get in the middle of that battle, we might be attacked by two armies. Two armies is not good, David. <laughs> you know, two, one, zero. We don't want to. And yet, so he would inquire again of the Lord. I think that's a word, too, even for us. Look at how many times he would just simply ask God rather than just assume decisions on his own. So he inquires again, and then they go and they fight and they save Israel. These men who were discontent and debt, distressed, 
were fighting for Israel and protecting them. David was not king. Those people were not Israel's army, but they were doing the very things that the king and the army of God was called to do. God gave them a purpose even before they even knew they had one. I want you to think about something. You know, David didn't come and just sit down and tell them why they shouldn't be discontent. He didn't just stand up and go up before them and just say, here's all the right information. But literally said, hey, we need to do what's right. Let's get in the game. Let's get out there. Let's work in the spirit of God. Let's trust God. Let's step out. And these men who were probably scared out of their minds because all they knew was just being discontent were all of a sudden doing something that they never thought they'd do. And God honored them. And you can just see how purpose has a way because the truth of the matter is you were made for something greater than just sitting and being talked to. You were made for something greater than me standing up here with the mic and telling you what you should do. Your relationship with God is so much more than just this. This is one part of it because we need the truth of God. We need to be led by one another in the kingdom of God. But you stop here. You sell yourself short of everything that God wants to do. Even Jesus. Look at Jesus in the Bible. Jesus didn't just sit down and talk with his disciples the whole time. Jesus would say, follow me. Let me give you a greater purpose. And you know, I think God has a greater purpose for all of us in this room, whether we know it or not. You're all given a purpose in Christ You all are called to things in your heart. You were all created in a certain way, and God wants to commit you to that and to grow you in those callings and whatever they are. You know, the greatest commands that God gives us are not given by accident by any means. And the two greatest commands are love and love. Love, love. That sounds like a Valentine's Day card. Love God and love one another. Your greatest calling is to love the Lord and it's to love one another. And the two commands are alike. Because when you love one another, when you love this world around you, whether they go to church or not, you're loving the people that God created. God created everyone out of love. And it breaks his heart to see anyone fall away from him. And so to go and to love the very creation that he has means the world to him. It means everything to him. Go ahead and talk to any dad or any mom. Tell them if you really want to get in their heart or you really want to get at their skin, you don't pick on them, pick on their kids. Not saying you should do that, but good luck if you do. Go ahead and pick it because that's where their heart is. You see, our purpose is built around loving the Lord, but it's built around loving one another. Whatever specifically that would look like is up to you and God. It's up to what God has in store for you. You know, for me personally, I feel like, and I know that God has affirmed that my calling isn't, it's not to be a pastor at Beaverton Foursquare. That is not my calling. My calling is to be a shepherd of people. It's to shepherd people and lead them to the Lord and teach them how to walk in the Lord. Yeah, I'm a Beaverton at, or I'm a, I'm a Beaverton at Pastor Foursquare. I'm a pastor at Beaverton Foursquare. But that's just, that's just the context for what I'm living in right now. That wasn't what I was always in, and it's not, probably always what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a shepherd of people if I work at Petco. I'm going to be a shepherd of people if I'm a tennis coach like I was, or if I work construction like I used to, or if I go to school. 
You see, it's not the circumstances that determine your calling. It's, it's something in your heart that determines who you are. And so even look at David. David was not king of Israel, but that didn't stop him from doing kingly work, which was probably affirming and proving the point that that really was his calling because he didn't need a throne to shepherd people and to lead people. So he actually put together a little list for you guys, just kind of just questions to ask yourself about your purpose and your calling. It's, it's not the end-all, be-all. It's just something to help you guys kind of understand, well, what is my purpose? Because I feel like I have all these ideas. I have all these things that are floating in my mind and in my heart. So how do I know if something's my purpose or not, Pastor Jeff? So I just have a couple questions for you. How do you know if something is your purpose? First question is, do you do it for yourself or do you do it for God? Just as simple as that. Who, why? Those things that you're thinking about, why do you do them? Because if you're just doing them for yourself and you're not doing it for the Lord, that might not be the thing that God has given you to do. Because whatever God gives us, it's going to lead right back to him and his glory, which leads to the next question. Are you seeking your glory or are you seeking God's glory? It's a good question to think about. Are you seeking praise for yourself or are you seeking praise for God? Because the things that God has called you and the things that in the places that God's going to put you in, it's not going to bring glory to yourself. It may respect you in whatever position because you're following the Lord. But truly, your, your affirmation of who you are comes from God, not from the, all the people around you. Which leads to kind of the next question. Are you becoming less and is he becoming greater? See, that's actually a verse, it's John 3.30, where John the Baptist, who would kind of make way for Jesus as someone who was leading people to repentance, and then Jesus came and he just, he said, this is what I was testifying about. And he would say, he must become greater and I must become less. Are you becoming greater in whatever purpose or calling that you are? Or is he becoming greater? Which kind of leads, this one I love, it's, it's about your circumstances or is it about your heart? Just like we said, David was Israel's shepherd, whether he had a crown on his head or not, which leads to this question. I think this one's really impactful. Does your circumstances determine whether you are living out your purpose? I want to reread that. Does your circumstances determine whether you're living out your purpose or not? Because I can tell you this, whatever God has called you to be, you can be it in whatever circumstance you are. If you say, I need to have this, in order to truly fulfill my purpose. That might not be it, to be honest. And the reason being is that, yeah, there are different varying in lengths that your purpose gets brought forth in the different positions of your life. David was probably a much better king when he was actually on the throne rather than in the position he was in on the run. But you know, that didn't stop him from being a king. He was always a shepherd of the people of Israel. He was always led to lead them in righteousness whether the people recognized it or not, because he knew it in his heart from, from when he was 12, from when he was young. Is your purpose lifting up others, or is it lifting up yourself? You know, something that's beautiful about even just the story of David is you see time and time again David lifting up other people around him. You see him saving Israel against Goliath. You see him loving his friend Jonathan. You even see him in this story saving 400 people, giving them a place to live, a place to love, and then even just leading them, protecting these people of Israel. It wasn't about him and him being lifted up like, I am the man. David didn't walk around going, I am the man. And it's about me. 
That is not what he did. He just lived out his calling, and because of that, God honored it, whether people recognized it or not. And then the last one is this, which I absolutely love, and is a deal breaker for sure. Do you feel you've earned or deserved your calling? Because if you feel like you've earned it, if you feel like you deserve it, that's probably not your calling. See, something about David that was so powerful is that he had every right to take out Saul and take the throne because of the way that he treated him, but he didn't. He respected him, and he respected the position, and he said, if that is for me, God will bring it. I don't have to manipulate my own destiny. I don't have to say, I deserve this for everything that I've done for Israel. I can be good with where I am, and God will put me in the positions that he wants me to be because I'm living out my purpose right now, and that's enough. See, those are just kind of questions that I want us to think about, even this morning, about what about purpose? Because you all have one, whether you recognize it or not. Aaron, if you want to come forward, um, we're going to just uh, close. If you want to close your Bibles, close your phones. We're going to just respond here. Because I think that when you look at a story like this, and you look at even the story of you find this group of kind of ragtag team of people came together for different reasons. You know, it would even say that, yes, it was probably because of Saul, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was because of Saul that they were exiled. It could have been their own fault. It could have been their own fault for all we know, but that's not the point. The point is this, is that no matter what you find yourself broken and hurting in or even bitter and soul in, is that when you come to Jesus, he takes that away. And you're not the only one. I think even just the power of prayer together was, was so powerful because it shows you that you're not alone in what you're going through. And so if you want to just bow your heads with me, we're going to respond to the Lord because I think there could be a thousand things going on in your life. Just like Jesus would say, you could be worried about many things, but only one thing is needed is what he said to just Martha, one of his disciples. You could be worried about a million things, but the answer relies in Christ and in trusting him. I think this morning that's a word for us in this room. Maybe you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you heard about the forgiveness. You heard about the eternal life. You heard about even the Holy Spirit and even the relationship that you get to have with God and one another in Christ. And you say, I want that. If that's you this morning, I just want you to say yes to God right where you're at right now. Just Jesus is here in this place and he is, he is so delighted in you. The word says that when you say yes to Jesus, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who remain the same. It is an absolute joy and celebration when a daughter or a son comes home to him. If that's you, we want to just celebrate with you. We want to pray with you this morning. And then also maybe this morning you're in a place where you're just bitter in heart or you just don't know any answers and God's trying to say, I have a purpose for you. I don't want you to just sit here and live in discontentment. I have a plan to get you in the game, in the family business, in the kingdom of God. I have a plan for you. I have a role for you in your kingdom. I have something I want to put in your heart. And if that's you this morning, if you want to receive that this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something. Where you're sitting right now, if you could just put your hands just open, just right where you are. If you want to receive a purpose from God right now, maybe you're in a place of saying, I just don't even know where to start. And you want to begin that. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would reveal to just each student in this room their purpose for being here. God, we know that our purpose is to worship you. 
to love you and to love others. But God, we know that you give us specific purposes in our heart, different even aspects of the kingdom, different roles, as the word would describe, just different parts of the body functioning in different ways. But together, we make the entire body. And the word says that Christ is the head. Christ is the king of it. If that's you this morning, I just pray that God would reveal that to you. He will reveal that to you. Maybe he's revealing it to you right now. Maybe he'll reveal it to you later this week. And maybe he'll just walk with you through a journey and teach you how to trust him in the same way that he did with David. Just sculpting you outside before putting you in a position where your purpose is fully lived out. So Jesus, we give that to you today. And Lord, we love you. We love you so, so much. And we give this all to you in Jesus' name our Lord and Savior. And everyone said, amen.